Well, good morning, everybody. We are so glad that you're here with us, whether you're at our Latham campus in person or you're watching online. Thank you for being with us here today. In the early 2000s, the band U2 released a hit song called Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out of. In that song, the chorus goes something like this. You've got to get yourself together. You've got stuck in a moment. And now you can't get out of it. Don't say that later will be better. Now you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. Do you ever feel that way? Do you ever feel stuck in a moment? Maybe you feel that way in your spiritual walk with God, where you kind of go through the motions, where your devotions are lifeless, you feel like you're not hearing from God, and you feel stuck in a moment. See, because if you're not growing in your spiritual faith and you're not moving forward in your faith, it could quite possibly be that you are developing spiritual complacency or you're just stuck in this moment. Over the past two years, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has caused many of us, many Christians, to kind of stop the healthy spiritual habits that we were doing. At the height of the pandemic, we were not doing in-person services and we're doing church online. Small groups were canceled. Serving ministries weren't happening. And we weren't able to connect with each other. While it was great to watch church online and convenient to watch church in our pajamas, but for me, it got a little too comfortable, right? At the height of the pandemic, the Barna Group, which is a Christian-based faith research group, they polled committed Christians, and they found that one out of three, about 32% of committed Christians said that they weren't doing anything. They weren't going to church in person or online. They just dropped out. On top of that, the Associated Press put out an article talking about the number of churches closing due to the pandemic. And, and what's worth, Gallup data says that for the first time since 1940, church membership is below 50%. That if we're not careful, complacency can enter into our spiritual lives. On top of all that, there are many things fighting for our attention. Every year, social media use is on the rise, right? I mean, you put on Instagram and your Instagram reels display video after video after video. Or you open Facebook for five minutes and five minutes becomes an hour. And what about all the streaming services we have like Netflix and Hulu and Disney Plus? What happens when you finish the episode? It just plays to the next episode, right? If you're watching a movie, it plays to the next movie. Things are competing for our attention. But if you're like that U2 song, Stuck in a Moment, know this, that is not God's ideal for your life. Your life was meant to flourish and be fulfilled. I love what Jesus tells us in John 10, 10, tells us this. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that you may have life and have it to the full. Your faith your walk with God was meant to grow and progress. That the person that I was this year should be a better person than I was last year. 
Your faith was meant to have vitality and life. And then if you're feeling this moment of, of being stale or complacent, that's not God's ideal for your life. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to address this kind of key question is this. How do I break free from spiritual complacency? How do I break free from spiritual complacency? Or for some of us, for some of us, maybe that question is, how do I prevent myself from being spiritually complacent? To do that, we're going to dive into an Old Testament book called the book of Haggai. So if you have a device with the Bible on it, I want you to click there now. If you have a physical Bible, uh, open to the book of Haggai. Haggai, if you don't know, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. It's the third to last book of the Old Testament. It goes to Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi before you get to the book of Matthew. But before we kind of dive into the scriptures of Haggai and to figure out how do we break free from spiritual complacency, let me give you some background on where we are in history so you know what's going on. Let's start with the year 587 B.C., Year 587 BC, the Babylonian Empire overtook God's people, took them captive, destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and took them right away from their lives. But the script flipped in the year 538 BC when the Persian Empire overtook the Babylonian Empire. And under the Persian Empire, King Cyrus decided that he was going to release God's people to go back to their land and become free. So as they're, as they're leaving their land, right, God gives them the mission. Now that you're free, I want you to build the temple. Now that you're free, you have this mission, right, to restore my temple. The book of Haggai, which we're going to be reading from, was written in the year 520 BC, about 18 years after the fact. And the prophet Haggai was God's messenger. And here's what they were noticing. God was noticing the people were not being persistent in their mission and their spiritual walk. Haggai talks to God's people that there was no vitality in their life and there was no growth. Basically, they're becoming spiritually complacent. And God's message is, you need to get back on track. So with that as the backdrop, let's dive into Haggai chapter one. And what we're gonna find is through Haggai that our choices matter. Your choices matter. If you're taking notes, there's going to be four choices that we look at to how do we break free from spiritual complacency. So let's read verses three to six of chapter one. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourself to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Then the second part of verse nine tells us this. Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. So this comes to our first point today is this. We need to choose God's kingdom over our kingdom. Choose God's kingdom over our kingdom. God's people at this time were so busy trying to build their houses, build their own lives, and focus on what they wanted to do for themselves and build their own wealth, their own kingdom, they neglected God's mission. Right? You would think, given a second chance at life, 
getting a second chance of, of being restored in their lives. They would be focused on God's mission. But what happened was they were so worried about what their houses looked like and what their lives, they were doing that instead. So the question for us this morning is this, whose kingdom are you building? Are you building your kingdom or God's kingdom? At this time, uh, there's probably some similarities of this culture uh, happening at the time of Haggai then that, that, that resonate with us. First off, uh, under, the, under the King Darius at the time, there was a ton of economic reform that kind of made things hard for them financially. Because of these economic reforms, there was higher taxation and higher inflation. Anybody relate? <laughs> and what happened was the people were so busy on that hardship, that was their main focus, trying to get themselves out of that rut. Right? That's very common to how we kind of, as people, deal with problems. See, when we have a, a problem or a situation or an obstacle in our lives, the easy tendency is to just deal with it ourselves, right? The easy tendency is just to try to fix it ourselves. I mean, it's our problems and building our kingdom. But the people of Haggai, they had misplaced priorities. A number of weeks ago, many of us and many people around the world watched the Super Bowl. And I know that not everybody who watches the Super Bowl is a football fan. And there are many people who actually watch it for commercials. But you know the funny thing about commercials these days? You can't really tell sometimes what product they're selling or who the advertiser is, right? Sometimes when a commercial comes on, the logo of the company doesn't even show up until maybe the very end. And maybe even the product that they're selling doesn't even come on screen. So what are they selling? They're selling you on a perceived lifestyle you need to obtain or maintain. See, commercials nowadays are selling us that what culture tells us is this is the lifestyle you need to obtain. This is the lifestyle you need to do. This is the kingdom that you need to have for our lives. And what happens is we become too worried about building up our own kingdom and worried about what happened in our lives, and we misplace our priorities away from God unto that. Jesus tells us in Matthew 6 this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying at a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Is that, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But get this, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. Jesus tells us, don't need to worry about this, right? I've got this, right? Seek 
first my kingdom. We look again at verse six on chapter one of Haggai, tells us that this, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You're in wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Here's the truth of the matter. If you're living your life for yourself, you will never feel satisfied and your life will never be enough. So how do we practically choose God's kingdom over our kingdom? One easy way, every morning you wake up, just say to God, God, your will be done, not mine. God, your will be done, not mine. Another way that you could practically choose God's kingdom over our kingdom is to look at how you're investing your three T's. What are your three T's? It's your time, your talent, and your treasures. Take an evaluation of your life, right? How are you investing your time? How you are investing your treasures and how you're investing your talents? Because get this, if we're taking our time, talent, and treasures and we're investing in the kingdom of God, I guarantee you, you're gonna have a fulfilled spiritual life and you will not be in spiritual complacency. Our second choice that we need to make is to choose community over isolation. Choose community over isolation. All throughout the book of Haggai, there's this overarching theme about community. God is calling people to get back together to build a temple, get back together in community, get back together to, to fulfill God's covenant, get back together to experience God's presence together. And there's this phrase that's used twice in the book of Haggai that I want us to kind of look at. And this phrase is called remnant of the people. And let me explain what this is. So let's go to verse 12 of Haggai chapter one. And it says this. And the whole remnant of the people obey the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. And this phrase is again repeated in verse 14. And it says this. And the spirit of the whole remnant of the people they came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. So what does that really mean? Well, the definition of a remnant is basically a group of people left over or a group of people who survived a major disaster or major catastrophe. This theological term is kind of all over the Old Testament tradition. And the remnant is a connection to the past and the future as well. The prophets in the Old Testament use this theme and they show that God's promises remain intact, but that they're gonna be also fulfilled through a purified community, the remnant. Haggai uses this term remnant for the people because it connects them to this important theme of their covenant discipline and the presence of God upon their lives. The remnant represents those who have been experienced the covenant discipline of God and have merged purified but at the same time, this picture is also a picture of community, people who have experienced God's covenant together and God's presence together through his spirit. Faith is meant to be in community, not in isolation. Haggai points to this theme, and all over the Bible, this theme is pointed of how important community is together, to be part of God's mission together, to worship together, to be part of God's presence together. 
It's crazy, right, that in our day and age of advanced technology, we can be connected in so many ways, yet find so many ways to isolate ourselves from others. The Harvard Graduate School of Education started a project called Making Caring Common, and they found in their research that 36% of respondents reported feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time or all the time in the prior four weeks. A startling 61% of young people aged 18 to 25 and 51% of mothers with young children reported these miserable degrees of loneliness. The report goes on. Several respondents also reported substantial increases in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. 43% of young adults in our survey reported increase in loneliness since the outbreak of the pandemic. Our data also suggests that lonely young adults are even more likely than lonely people generally to lack basic forms of human attention and emotional sustenance. About half of lonely young adults in our survey, for example, reported that no one in the past few weeks had taken more than just a few minutes to ask how they were doing in a way that made them feel like the person generally cared. Wow. But guess what? It's not just young people either. The National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine compiled a report titled Social Isolation and Loneliness in Older Adults. And in their research, they found that more than one-third of adults aged 45 and older feel lonely. And nearly one-fourth of adults aged 65 and older are considered to be socially isolated. Isolation is harmful. There are studies all over that shows how harmful physically, mentally, and emotionally isolation is. And I'm going to add spiritually as well. The Barnard Group, which I referenced earlier, put out a book a few months ago called The Loneliness Epidemic. And in that book, they looked at right, faith-based Christian people who are beginning to become more lonely and lonely. Over the past two years, many of us have been disconnected from people more than we usually have, and we're just starting to get back into that. And what we're seeing is that when we're not disconnected from other people, right, we can be isolated and become spiritually complacent. Hebrews tells us this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So how do we break free from spiritual complacency by finding community? Well, the first off is if you're not attending church on a regular, frequent basis, make a commitment that you're going to be attending church on a regular, frequent basis. If you're watching online for health reasons, you're out of town. When you're online, make sure you're in the chat window talking to the chat community online as well. But more importantly, you need to find meaningful relationships that lead to spiritual growth. Find meaningful relationships that lead to spiritual growth, right? Whether that's join a small group, join a class, that's, or maybe that's just finding two or three people in your life that you can do life with, that you can pray with, that you can read the scriptures with. Reach out to somebody family members, friends, neighbors, people you're sitting near the, in the pews with. Whatever you need to do, find meaningful relationships that lead to your spiritual growth. 
Let's continue on in our passage. We're gonna look at Haggai chapter one, verse nine. Verse nine tells us this. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. This is talking about the rebuilding of the temple. We continue on in verse 13. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave the message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. We move forward in chapter two, says this. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now, be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I coveted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This leads us to our third choice, and the third choice is this. Choose empowerment over disappointment. And what I mean by that is choose the empowerment of God's presence in your life over dwelling on your disappointment. God's people here were disappointed. Why? They were building this temple, right? God gave them this mission to build this temple, but it wasn't like the original temple. I mean, the original temple was built and destroyed, was destroyed about 66 years prior. So there's probably some people that are still alive, but more likely than not, there are some tales of generation telling them how big this, how great this temple was. So they start this building project and it's not up to their expectations. And their expectations weren't met and they stopped. And they came into this season of dwelling on their disappointments and they stopped what they're doing and they lived this life that wasn't spiritually vital. Do you ever get disappointed? Right? Has there been something in your life where you thought it would go one way and it completely crashed? Maybe it was this dream job that you thought you were gonna get, but once you get the job, it wasn't the dream job. Maybe you're in a relationship and this relationship isn't going the way you had hoped for. Maybe you moved into this house and it had way more problems than you thought it would have. Or maybe you have this physical goal where you're trying to lose weight or run a race and your goals aren't getting there. Shattered expectations are a part of life. It was a great Martin Luther King Jr. who said this, we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. About 14 years ago, uh, I became a senior pastor of a church. And coming into this senior pastor, I had really high expectations. I thought people were gonna get saved, people's lives were gonna get transformed, our attendance was gonna increase. And I came into this pastor with high expectations. But I'm gonna be completely honest with you, quite the opposite happened. And I was feeling discouraged and disappointed of my value and my worth in this pastorate. Because basically the opposite was happening. And I began to dwell on my disappointments and my discouragement. And because of that, I was spiritually complacent in my life. Yeah, you heard that right. I was, I was pastoring, 
and I was being spiritually complacent because I was dwelling in my discouragements. But get this, towards the end, I began to embrace, right, God's encouraging power of my life. And I began to embrace that God's presence has not departed me. God was not uh, without was in the presence with me. God was with me every step of the way. And I was doing way more funerals than I was weddings or baptisms or child dedications. And I was discouraged by that. But then God brought to my attention and encouraged me that for many of these people, I was gonna be the last pastor they ever had in their life. And towards the end of that pastorate time, I held on to the fact that God's presence was still with me. In your disappointments and your discouragement, know that God is with you. Isaiah tells us, so do not fear for I'm with you. Do not be dismayed for I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I feel for some of us today, you just need to hear the words and embrace the words, God is with you. God is with you. That in your disappointment and your discouragement, God is with you. So what's holding you back? What what disappointment or discouragement is holding you back from being the person God wants you to be. Practical tip is whatever is discouraging you, whatever is the disappointment, write it down. Just write it down. And then ask God just to release that. Ask God to take that from you. Because the reality is, right, these disappointments are the wall preventing you from being spiritually vital in your life. Some of these disappointments that we're holding on to is what's preventing us from being the people God wants us to be and we're living in this spiritual complacency. Let's move on to our fourth choice. We find that in Haggai chapter two, verses 15 to 19. It says this. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came into a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, on from the 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you. Fourth choice we have today is to choose celebrating over forgetting. To choose celebrating over forgetting. What I mean is we need to celebrate the spiritual moments God has in our lives over forgetting what God has done. God told them, right, from this day forward, from this day forward, I want you to remember this day. Remember what I'm doing in your lives and how important that is. Because what they were doing in their lives not only had an impact for them in that generation, but had an impact for 
future generations? What are the spiritual moments of your life? August 2nd, October 5th, November 3rd, June 12th. Those days probably have no meaning and no importance to your life. But they have some important meaning to me. It's my wife's birthday, my kids' birthdays, and it's our anniversary date. And we celebrate these things in our lives, right? We celebrate important milestones in our life, and we keep them at our forefront of our lives. But what about celebrating and remembering what God has done in your life? What are your spiritual moments? It could be different for each one of us. It could be the day you accepted Christ in your heart. It could be the day you were baptized. It could be the day that God healed you from an addiction. It could be the day that God did this amazing miracle in your life. Celebrate and remember the moments God did in your life. Earlier today, in the worship service, we celebrated communion. And communion is not this routine that we just go through the motions in. Communion is a vital point of our spiritual journey. It's a vital point of our spiritual redemptive journey, right? Communion shows us that Jesus Christ bore our sins on the cross and died for you and I so that we may be free and have eternal life. And we don't go through the motions. It's not a routine that we do monthly. It's a fresh and new experience that we celebrate our faith. And it brings renewal and freshness to our lives. Psalm 77 tells us this. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. So how do we celebrate these spiritual moments over forgetting what God has done? Well, the easiest thing I think is just to write things down, right? Write it down. Put things in a journal, put things on your phone, put things on your iPad. Write these things down. Write down the moments God has transformed your life. Write, write down these key signature moments that God has worked in your life and go back and revisit them, right? Because if we're keeping those at a forefront in our lives, our faith will be fresh and we're not gonna be wandering into spiritual complacency. But on top of writing it down, I encourage you, talk about it. Talk about your story. Talk about your journey. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. Bring it up constantly with your family. These, these moments that God is working in our lives, these moments that God is transforming our lives, it needs to be centered on our hearts and our minds when we talk about it. Because when we bring these at a forefront, what's gonna happen is we're gonna break free from spiritual complacency. So as we're sitting here today, we need to ask ourselves, where am I in this picture? Where am I? Right? Because God's word demands response. And we need to see is, where am I in this kind of spiritual walk with God? Am I being complacent? Or what areas of my life do I need to be proactive so I can break free from spiritual complacency? The big idea that I want us to get is this. Our spiritual life was meant to be filled with vitality 
and growth. We have the ability to make choices to break free from spiritual complacency. So to break free from spiritual complacency, four choices we didn't make. Those four choices are this. Choose God's kingdom over our kingdom. We need to choose community over isolation. We need to choose empowerment over disappointments. And we need to choose celebrating over forgetting. May we be the people of faith who are constantly growing to become the people, the men and women God desires us to be. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now. We just thank you for the work you've done in our lives. God, we thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice you made for us on the cross. Lord, we pray for anyone right now here who is dealing with spiritual complacency, anybody here who's dealing with their faith being stalled or stuck or going through the motions. God, we want to bring that to you right now. We repent of our spiritual complacency. We repent of not growing, of not pursuing you more and more. And God, may we be people who are constantly being proactive in growing our faith. May people around us and may the world see the change and the transformation in our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.